My title tonight is Poured Out. One of my first jobs when we started our business was following the government's statistics, inflation, mortality rate, and so on. So you can imagine that when the annual list of the most popular babies' names dropped into my inbox, it was a little bit of light relief. So what names are popular at the moment? Well, in 2018, the most popular girls' names were Sophia and Olivia. Now, I think after the Oscars that Olivia might take the top spot this year. I definitely think there's going to be a change in the most popular boys' names because apparently the top name last year was Jackson, with Liam in second place. Now, those names have had rather bad news recently, so I don't think they're going to be quite as popular. But Noah was third, so I reckon Noah might float to the top. (laughs) Of course, there's a certain birth coming up, which may completely change all the odds of all the names. Um, I've always quite liked my name, but it has its problems. There were four Marys in my class at school. Um, And yes, this is a photo of my old school. Um, We didn't have to wear those veils all the time. And you will notice that there are one or two boys. There were no boys when I was there. But we did have to wear the veils on Founders Day. And if you were in the choir, like I was in my final year, you had to wear them at services as well. And on Founders Day, we had gowns as well as veils in the choir. Anyway, as I was saying, there were four Marys in my class at school. Luckily, we had very different surnames because it was a very formal school, in case you hadn't guessed. And um, we had to sit in alphabetical order in class. So you could tell who the teacher was talking to by which direction they were looking. Although I did get really used to being referred to as the other Mary. I have to say that anywhere I've been ever since, there's always been more than one Mary. I think St. Matt's is exceptional, but there is a Mary in St. Thomas, so I count that. Um, So the central character that I want to focus on today is indeed another Mary. Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha and Lazarus, friend of Jesus. And first of all, I want to look at what we know about her. Then I want to think about why this story is so important in John's Gospel. And finally, I want to draw some lessons for today. So what do we know about Mary? We first meet Mary and Martha in Luke's Gospel when Jesus is at their house teaching. And Mary sits at Jesus' feet instead of helping Martha in the kitchen. And Martha gets a bit fed up. And Jesus replies to Martha's complaint, Martha, Martha, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, John didn't actually include that story in his gospel, but Mary and Martha crop up in the passage we heard instead. At the climax of the first half of his book, 
Now, we think John wrote his gospel when he was a very old man. So he had a lot of time to think about how he wanted to tell the story of Jesus. It's really carefully planned, and it differs from the other gospels because he's trying to tell the story in a particular way so that you can't miss the point of the story, who Jesus is and how much he loves us. And the first half of the book has Jesus doing more and more extraordinary miracles and people still doubting him. And eventually he raises Lazarus from the dead in the chapter before the one we heard from. And you might think that would be a bit of a clincher and people would start to believe in him then. But the result is actually that the religious authorities decide they want to kill Jesus, and not just Jesus, but Lazarus, because Lazarus is quite an irritating piece of evidence that Jesus really does have some power. So from this point on, the whole of the second half of John's Gospel describes the last week of Jesus' life and the intensive time he spends with the disciples leading up to the crucifixion and then his appearances after the resurrection. So the meal in Bethany is the transition between Jesus' traveling ministry around Judea and Samaria and his final approach to the cross. And the very next story, which we just started to hear a bit about, is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we will hear about next week on Palm Sunday. So why is this story so important? We're going to look a little bit closer at this turning point in the gospel. So Martha and Mary are clearly good friends of Jesus. I mean, they know how to get an urgent message to him. According to Luke, Martha opened her home to Jesus. So maybe he stayed there several times. They describe their brother in that urgent message that they send as the one you love, when he's really sick and they want Jesus to come. So I think we can assume it's a family that Jesus knows well and loves. But Jesus delays, so Lazarus dies. And then Jesus comes and performs this amazing miracle of resurrection. And now we come to today's passage. The meal is given in Jesus' honor presumably also as a celebration of Lazarus's new life. And Martha is doing what she does best, serving. But as usual, Mary takes a different path. She takes just under a pint of nard, which was a very expensive perfume made from the spikenard plant. There's a picture of it there. Even this tiny amount was worth 300 denarii which was about a year's wages. And she just pours it out all over Jesus' feet and then wipes it off, not with a towel, but with her hair. Jesus kicks off. Essentially, he's saying, what a waste of money. But Jesus accepts the gift and defends Mary. He links it explicitly with his death. Maybe he knows that what he's just done for Lazarus has actually signed his own death warrant. Maybe he knows that that 
the women are not going to be able to anoint his body for burial. The meal is going on all around them. The thief Judas is being falsely pious. Maybe an argument starts. But Mary is in another world. She recognizes Jesus for who he is and what he is facing. And full of love and gratitude that cannot be measured. It can only be expressed by giving the most precious thing she owns. And back in chapter 11, John actually starts this whole section by telling us that Lazarus is very ill. And he actually introduces Lazarus as the brother of Mary. He says something along the lines of, you know, Mary, the one who anointed the feet of Jesus with perfume and wiped it with her hair. He hasn't even told that story yet. He just assumes that everybody knows that story. Because what Jesus said came true. Not surprisingly, of course it came true. Mary goes down in history as the woman who anointed the feet of the king before his burial. So Mary had sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his teaching. She has seen him do miracles and raise her beloved brother back to life. She knows who Jesus is. He is the pearl beyond price. He is the living water that wells up to eternal life. Her Lord and her Savior and her God. Whatever she was saving the perfume for, was totally irrelevant. The fact that she's not supposed to uncover her hair before a man who isn't her husband is totally irrelevant. The presence of the disciples is totally irrelevant. Martha isn't actually recorded as saying anything on this occasion. It doesn't mean that she didn't doesn't mean that she didn't sometimes complain about the lack of help. But I suspect that on this occasion, she was probably 100% with Mary in love and gratitude for what Jesus had done for their brother. Mary understood that the words extravagance and waste were irrelevant where Christian devotion is concerned because the death of Jesus was not a waste. And Paul expresses something similar in the passage that we also heard from Philippians. Everything that was best about his status as a Jew, everything that his own people held dear, valued the most, he says is as nothing compared with Jesus. And in the chapter before that, he writes about how he feels like he's being poured out like a drink offering. So what is a drink offering? (laughs) Some of the sacrifices made on the altar by the Israelites were actually meant to be eaten by the worshipper. You just gave a little bit, the animal was killed, you gave a little bit and you ate the rest in a sort of remembrance, Thanksgiving meal. The more holy sacrifices were meant to be eaten by the priests. So 
The holiest sacrifices of all were the burnt offering. And that was sacrificed completely to God, completely burnt up. And with the burnt offering was a drink offering. And that was poured out to make a beautiful fragrance as the offering was burnt up. And because it was a liquid, you couldn't ever gather that back up again. It speaks of total commitment to God. And you can imagine the fragrance, can't you? Like when you put a bit of wine in something you're cooking and somebody comes in and goes, that smells good. (laughs) That's what it was like. The drink offering was partly wine. And it just gave this beautiful aroma and signified total commitment to God. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians. But those who don't truly understand how precious Jesus is will never quite get this waste. Judas didn't get it. Maybe at that point, some of the other disciples didn't get it either. They might have been thinking, yeah, this is a bit of a waste of a valuable resource. They may have felt it was a waste of a woman's honor in uncovering her hair and behaving in this scandalous way. When Luke talks about a similar occasion, when a woman cried and wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair, all the men in the room are throwing up their hands in horror. Jesus turns earthly values upside down. It's always what's in the heart that counts. The widow's might is more important than all the wealth of important men. The tax collector's repentance was more important than the Pharisee's religion. Real faith that makes a difference is always at least slightly shocking to those without faith. So what does this teach us about abiding in Christ? Well, how precious is Jesus to you? So a year's average wage buys a nice car, Qashqai. Quite like Qashqai's. Um, Two hip operations. Might be relevant for me in a few years' time. An averagely expensive wedding. So not even an expensive wedding. A nice yacht, Mark, (laughs) just in case you're interested. But is that the point of the story? No, of course it isn't. Remember, Jesus praised the widow for just putting the tiny mite in. But abiding in Jesus, really abiding in Jesus, acknowledging him as Savior and Lord means that he's our top priority. Jesus said... Anyone who does not hate his mother or father cannot love me. One of his hardest sayings. I don't think he means that you should reject your parents, but that he should be the most important thing in your life. For some people, coming to faith, coming to Jesus, does actually mean separation from their family, because their family rejects them or could even kill them. For others, a call to follow Jesus separates them from those they love. I remember praying for a single missionary who was about to return to the other side of the world to her place of work, leaving behind her terminally ill father who she would most likely and indeed did not ever see again. We were all crying when we prayed for her. I read that passage actually 
she knew that this was the price of following Jesus and she was following where he was calling. And her father was trusting Jesus. And they both knew that this for them was the equivalent of that pint of nard being poured out over Jesus' feet. And they did it joyfully. You mustn't expect that other people will ever understand why you do what you do, why you follow Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus personally have always thought it was a waste when some talented individual gives everything to God. In medieval times, when a young woman became a nun, which, let's face it, was about the only truly independent career choice she could make, People thought it was a waste, particularly if she was rich or beautiful or both. She should forge a useful liaison for her family. She should be her servant, her husband's servant, his second in command when he was away. In the 1920s, when Eric Liddell wouldn't run on Sundays, people thought it was a waste of his talent. If you haven't seen his story in the film Chariots of Fire... You really should. It's a really old film, isn't it? Um, Nowadays, when a young couple decide not to have sex before they get married, people think that's a waste of their youth. If you go to church on Sunday, Life Hub in the middle of the week, people will think that's a waste of your time or that you're weak or both. Most people think giving to charity is okay, quite good even. But given to the church, why would you want to do that? Sometimes even Christians think that. But anything you do out of love for Jesus, whether it's helping with visuals at church, thank you, Jonathan, studying as well as you can, carrying your job out with integrity, giving some of your income regularly, loving the people around you, caring for the poor and the needy, All of these things are a fragrant offering in Jesus' eyes, however the world values it. But my topic this week is supposed to be abiding, and I I don't know about you, but this all sounds quite active for abiding. So I want to think about that a little bit more. First of all, abiding requires an act of will. To not let ourselves get rushed off our feet with stuff and lose sight of the most precious thing. The most amazing thing about Mary, I think anyway, is that she recognized who Jesus was before he died on the cross. She didn't yet fully know that all all that he was going to do for her. She didn't know that the resurrection of her brother was just a foretaste of the true resurrection life that she herself would have. She could have just been swept along by Martha at that earlier visit of Jesus, but she knew that when Jesus of Nazareth was visiting their home, every possible moment had to be spent in his presence. But what we have is even better than that. We live after that first Easter. She was just before it. We have the enormous privilege of being able to spend every 
moment of our lives with Jesus. Our eternal resurrection life starts now. Do you know that? Do you really know that? Mary didn't, and yet look what she did. We can sit at Jesus' feet every day. And when we rise to face the day, he goes with us by his spirit. And when we come to the end of our days, he has gone before us. And when we step into eternity, he is there to welcome us. Secondly, Jesus didn't just say that people will think it's a bit of a waste if you follow me. He actually said that the disciples would suffer and be persecuted for him, put out of the synagogue and even killed But Jesus also said he would send the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth. And as he explained what the Holy Spirit would do, he prayed for his disciples and he told them to remain in him as he remained in the Father. And this is the starting point for anything we do, any fruit we might bear, any pruning the Father might want to do for us. We can do nothing on our own. And we will be overcome by the enemy on our own. But if we remain in Christ, we are safe and can grow towards being the best of ourselves as God created and intended us to be. And then our lives become a beautiful, fragrant offering, a drink offering. I was really struck by the two lines that we finished our time of worship with. Bear the cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. And I felt that really summed up what I was trying to say today. And finally, I want to share something personal with you. A couple of years ago, I was praying towards the end of a service here at St. Matt's, and I asked God what my name was in his eyes. How did he see me? And I felt him say, Mary. Well, that's a surprise, you might think. But I felt there was more to it than that. I felt he was quite clear. I created you to be like Mary of Bethany and sit at his feet. Now that was a surprise to me, because ever since I had become a Christian, I had put my childhood dreamy bookworm ways behind me, and I had been really quite earnest for the Lord. 
I always saw myself as more of a Martha. In fact, I would say I took pride in it. I felt God was saying to me in that service, it was time I lived up to my name. So I was laughing inside, and then I started to get a bit worried because I thought, oh, maybe I've been storing worthless treasure up for myself for, I don't know, 35 years. That's quite, makes you quite anxious. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but our father is really kind, isn't he? And he gave me another picture to sort of help. And he showed me, I was holding my hands out, and I felt like two tiny jars of perfume were being put into my hand. And he said, these jars contain what you do for me. They're like a fragrant offering. I see what you do, and I value it. But it doesn't define you. I don't love you because of it. You don't need it. And I just sat on that and I thought about it and I just treasured it in my heart for several weeks. And a few weeks later, um, we had another service, surprisingly, and there was a visitor who shared a word that he had. And he shared this story, this picture of Mary pouring out the perfume. And I thought, that's me. That's what I'm supposed to do. I know God had said that it didn't matter, that what I did wasn't, didn't define me, and he didn't love me because of it. But the thought of pouring it out, frankly, was quite terrifying. <clears throat> but I went forward at the end for prayer, and, um, and I just imagined myself pouring it all out and saying, okay, God, that's it. I'm just Mary now. What? next. And um, I saw a pen and a notebook being put into my hands. And unbelievably, I, the word reader came into my head. Now, I've shared that with the reader selection panel. They did look a bit surprised. Um, and I thought, I'm not even sure what a reader is. <clears throat> so I went home and Andrew will testify that I looked up what a reader is. Um, and that is basically why I'm not the parish administrator anymore. That's why I'm studying theology and training to be a reader. So abiding can be surprisingly active. <laughs> when you abide in Jesus, um, abide in him. He can take you to really quite strange but wonderful places. So back to names how would you like your name to be remembered? What would you like written on your gravestone? Now, this was recently uncovered in Bath Abbey. A friend of mine posted it on Instagram. It says, the very ingenious Mr. Harvey. It's under the floor in the abbey, and they're doing a restoration project, so they found it. It turns out that he is the person who designed the pump room prior to the current pump room. So not the one we've got now, but the one before that, mid-18th century, you can see. It's quite a cool way to be remembered, isn't it? There's a stone in the churchyard at St. Thomas that simply says, a lovely man. 
I think that's quite a nice way to be remembered too. Mary could have forever been the other Mary or Mary of Bethany, if you want to be a bit more specific. But instead, she is Mary who anointed the feet of Jesus. We learn from her that nothing is more precious than Jesus. Nothing matters as much as our relationship with him. All we have to do is choose the most precious thing. What we do can be a fragrant offering, but only if it's poured out without counting the cost. Abiding in him is the only place we will be satisfied. Nobody's opinion but Jesus matters. The only memorial worth having is lover of Jesus. So I'd like to close with a prayer by George MacDonald. which I think sums it up. As for me, I can only fall on my knees and pray that the Lord Christ who died for me might have his own way with me. That it might be worth his while to have done what he did and what he is doing now for me. To my elder brother, My Lord and my God, I give myself yet again confidently because he cares to have me and because my very breath is his. I will be what he wants, who knows all about it and has done everything that I might be his own, a living glory of gladness. Amen.